from Alvin Lee, so many decades ago, so prophetic. Roger Sales with you. Chris Caves along here from the start. Uh, it is, of course, the Radio Ranch and People's Patriot Network, and the date of today's program is the second day of April, year 2019, Mr. Chris. Uh, and I guess as I was talking with Chris just briefly before the show, the biggest thing this morning that I saw within the last hour is uh, the spike of Bitcoin overnight and this morning, and the price is up over 10%. That's nice. It was uh, up even more than that overnight. It's dropped back a few hundred dollars, but the fact that we've got a nice little upward spike, it's the biggest spike, Chris, since uh, back in December of 17 on that faithful morning when we were on the air here. I don't remember if you were with us, but I know that in the first 30 minutes of the program, Daryl called in and he was watching the ticker tape there. And for the next 30 minutes, Bitcoin went from $12,000 to $20,000, something like that. In about 30 minutes, it was one of the most amazing things to be right there on top of it and on the air live. And it was like, um, I had another experience with this, Chris, when I was young. Um, you know, I was in, uh, in Alaska. I lived in Alaska for the whole year, years I was in high school in Anchorage. And my father was stationed there at Elmendorf. And I was there during that big earthquake, which turns out now to be the third, third biggest earthquake ever recorded. And uh, when it happened, of course, all the electricity, everything was out. It was just total. Man, just it was a weird situation. I could probably do a whole hour on just the things I remember. But that night we were listening. The only communication we had was, got a guess? Shortwave. Radio, okay. And we were listening to the radio, and my father was a big shortwave advocate. In fact, I, I had for many years, I may still have some, have it somewhere, one of the old Zenith Transoceanic shortwave radios, this big boxy thing, and you could get all kinds of, it was a real nice radio for its day, and you could get all the Radio Russia and all that stuff, and we used to do that in Alaska. So we uh, dragged out the radio, and I don't think it was the shortwave we were listening to. I think it was uh, some local station had gotten gotten their equipment back up where they could broadcast. But when that, um, when that tsunami hit, because there was a real big tidal wave, a tsunami that was generated off of that earthquake, and the most devastating that it did, not locally, but it wiped out an entire California town. And it was one of those towns on the west coast that's on a bay, and the and the town faced north on the bay. And that wave came out of the northwest, and it just totally, I believe the name of the town's Crescent City, California, and it just totally wiped it out. Uh, but it also wiped out Seward, which is a town there south of Anchorage in Alaska on the Gulf of Alaska, and also had a pretty dramatic effect on Valdez. And we were listening to the radio, and as that tsunami, hit Seward, the guy in the back, you know, they were they had some sort of a UPI 
wire or something going. That was the way they used to do things, you know, ticker tape and that kind of stuff, the wire they called it. And you could hear the guy rip it off of the cage, you know, where the where the paper comes off. <laughs> he rip it. Here's a hot one. And he comes over and gives it right to the announcers. And the guy goes, a, a tidal wave just hit Seward. So I, I remember those kind of things, you know, that stuck in my mind for many years. Um, so anyway, we're on the cusp of a lot of stuff happening and, and it's just, every, oh man, I mean, just, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, in this world that we're sitting on top of, yeah. uh, everything is percolating, man. And it's just like the whole surface of the earth is when you got a, a, a pot of water or something on the stove and you can see just about when it's going to come to a boil, you know, and that's just about where we are. We're in the early bubbling stage that I can see right now. And the, mo the thing, probably... that... go ahead. Remember that song called Hot Coffee? Do, 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 yep, sure do. Sure do. A lot of people used it as bumper <laughs> stuff. But, you know, and the one thing that I can sit here and say sincerely this morning is that for me personally, over all these years, what, what do you spend all this time doing stuff for? I mean, what do you spend all this time studying for? What do you go through these grief periods for and these incidents that we got to go for? The whole thing is to get a, a body of knowledge where you can really understand what's happening so you can make correct decisions. That's where it comes down to that all this stuff that we do is that so we can get to a point where we can make correct decisions because the system is inimical, inimicably against you and designed to absolutely clean your clock and suck your essence. And what this information allows us absolutely, to do Roger, is to you have... Know if you, you and know, the accurate information... Go, go, go. I was just going to say, let's just let me finish it. So we can get that knowledge and make these correct decisions where we can do things like a year ago, those purchase some of these carrot bar coins, buy gold, and then most of us have been holding some form and some amount of silver uh, and gold for a long time and waiting for these days that we're right on the verge of. Go ahead, Chris. Well, I was only going to say that the degree of accuracy of the truth that you found your decisions on has a direct relationship on the outcome of your investment strategies to protect your wealth. And, and that's got a direct outcome on the quality of life and the quality of life of perhaps your children and your grandchildren. I mean, let's get serious, okay? So uh, it's real important, and it's not the freedom thing. Is It, it encompasses all this, you know, the political aspect, and now you can uh, get away from these onerous laws that are man-made man and attached to people of a certain status that guide and dictate uh, uh, everything you do. Well, if you get over here and get this knowledge and get yourself re-empowered and take some personal steps in the right direction, you don't have to deal with that anymore. Indeed. That would be a very pleasant situation to I mean, be in, I assure you. Okay, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe me, you just drop by any library. And I don't care even if it's an elementary school library. I'm pretty sure they got them in there. They've loaded the Code of Federal Regulations in every damn library in the country, okay? And you go in there and you go look at that stack of books over probably now two shelves of whatever library you're looking at, and you can look at that and say, with the exception of two sections in Title 26, not one bit of that crap applies to me. 
with the exception of two statutes in Title 26, 871B and 877B, not one word of that whole conglomeration of googledy-gook applies to you. Now, how's that, Chris? How's that for one fatal swoop? That's pretty uh, simplified there, if you can get it on. Okay, and I see our people in our community all these years struggling from these bottom-up situations and very few of them ever seeing any kind of a remedy that's good God correct, much less just, okay? And it breaks my heart, man, and that's why I struggle so hard to get this out. And the thing is, for people that have spent so much time reading all this stuff from all these people and learning all this law and this history they'd never been exposed to before, and you come up and tell them that this is this simple, and they absolutely don't believe you. Well, the Nile is not just a river in Egypt. No, it's not. Okay. So anyway, that's why we strive so hard to do what we do here. And uh, I guess at the start of the show, if there's anybody that's new, and I know we're getting some new listeners out there and some people that just sit back and, and listen for a long time and probably never reached out to us. If you've got any questions or comments, you got to remember this. I had a guy, remember Freedom? that called in the other day? Well, Freedom and I have had some uh, exchanges on emails, and he had some questions, and he was going to ask them the other day, I think, when he called there on Friday at the end of the show, but we had to get to Stephanie because we always defer to the ladies first here. And um, we get so few of them, you know, Chris, that when one comes along, we like to defer to them real early so they don't get aggravated and hang up. Okay, but yeah, uh, he was he, he was going, well, I need to ask you some questions about my situation. This is my situation. And I said, well, you know, the, the what I try and do here, and I know people are concerned and scared and all that stuff. I understand the intimidation factor. These guys have done a great job at it. But uh, But when somebody has that question and they want to deal with it on the side, then there may be five, ten other people, 20 or more out there that have the very same question, and because it didn't get exposed here, it was done on the side, they don't have the answer. So as we used to say in teaching, the only dumb question is the one that isn't asked. Indeed. Okay, because then it deprives everybody, and I want to give an open hand to anybody. If you're sitting out there in that position and you got a question on this to help buttress your empowerment, okay? It's not for me. I've been empowered for a lot of years now, and I know this stuff pretty well, and I feel real good about it. I'm not scared of one damn man on the face of this earth, okay? Not one. You know, Roger, I was going to say it's very intriguing to watch the interplay between the different groups who think they have the answers, the other groups, I will say. Uh, the Anavon Rights Group is uh, starting to nibble around the periphery of the salient and important material issues. I even saw TeamLaw.com or .org Team is who? still active. Team Law, that was Eric Madsen's group out of Colorado. Oh. I think his son is carrying the uh, water bucket for Eric himself these days, but they still have a pretty good site. But, you know, they all have a lot of accurate information, but they have little elements that complicate it and maybe not totally accurate that uh, kind of detracts from their efforts and their um, 
authenticity and accuracy. And here we try to search for the truth and let the truth lead it where it may. And if you find it, it's irrefutable. It stands on its own and it's unrebuttable. And that's their words, not our words. Chris, you know, it's like the old story. I know everybody in the audience has heard this, of the two bulls. You know, the old bull and the young bull, and they're out there grazing in the pasture, and they come over a hill, and there's just a whole big herd of heifers down there. And the young bull says, let's go down and make love to one of them. And the old bull says, let's walk down and make love to all of them. Okay. Yeah. And, and so what you learn as you get a little bit older is if you reserve that stuff and try and maximize your efforts. I mean, look at our enemy. Okay, they're pretty successful. I don't believe there's anybody listening to these words that wouldn't agree with me. Our enemy is real successful at prosecuting their agenda. Would you agree with that? Satan is a master of his craft. Absolutely. Okay. Well, when they do things, they always accomplish multiple objectives. They never do things that just accomplishes one vector. They always have three or four, five, six, seven different areas that benefit off every action they do. They're smart. They I'm maximize They maximize everything they do, and we need to be just as smart. And we need to do the same damn thing, okay? And part of being able to do that is not running around like a dog chasing its tail out there looking for answers that, and looking at words and all this. It says this over here. Well, hold it. It's been amended. It says that over here. And going through all that crap that I've seen our whole community do for 30 years. You go back and what's the first? Okay, now, if you got, you got a group of people like we were talking about a minute ago that are affected by these regulations, right? With the exception of two, yeah. two stated sections of the code, all the rest of those 50 titles are all made for residents. Okay? You could even look to the immigration form, uh, DSM-11, and the warning block is either A or B. That's you, two. You can do all that stuff, but you got this group of people that's affected by all that gobbledygook, right? And you got this group of people over here that's isn't affected by it and only just barely touched on the edge by these two sections. Now, my question to you is, what's so damned hard to understand about that? There's a, section here. there's a section here that's affected and statedly so, and there's a section over here that if you understand what they're saying aren't affected and statedly so. Now, my question to you is which one of those two groups would you like to be in, A, and what's so damned hard to understand about it, B? I want to be disaffected, not affected. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, when you boil this down to its simplicity, yeah, they've doctored it up with a bunch of complexity, layers and layers and layers and obfuscations and unbelievable yeah. ways as we untangle it and understand it, okay? But still, analysis to paralysis. That's right. An, uh, analysis paralysis is exactly what it's called. Well, if you simplify things and come back and you understand that the whole guiding the whole guiding uh, 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 parameters of this whole thing, it's all mm-hmm. in these parameters is the law of nations by Vitell. Yes, Vitell. So you go back to Vitell and you realize pretty simply, I don't have to have any law or any other knowledge or anything else to understand what I'm going to tell you, Chris. If I tell you that you're a slave, that's tyranny. Yeah. Is there anybody that can disagree and argue that statement? If somebody tells you what you are, that's tyranny. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, Vettel says everything's got to be voluntary. That's, it's, so it's either tyranny or it's liberty. But if they take that liberty and they turn and twist all this stuff and they pull the deed, they pulled the deed on March the 9th of 33, and from then generationally everybody's born into this. And then they go in and twist these words and they get your confirmation. So they say all along your lifetime, Chris, are you a citizen of the United States? Chris, are you a resident? Where do you sign? Yep. Where do I put my X? Right there. Okay, well, boom. All you've done is give them confirmation. From the point of birth, everything they do subsequently is coming back and asking you, hey, Chris, are you still in a condition of voluntary servitude under the scope and purview of the 14th Amendment? Yeah, buddy, that's me. Where do I put that X? that's all confirmation and you see that's what Samuel's question was about and he told me a little bit of his background he's had some ups and downs in life like most of us have but he had filed some stuff 10 years ago he said do I need to go back and undo any of that listen man and I had that other question the other day so and I think it was your people Chris that you were talking about and the guy goes well you got to go in and sever all these contracts why all those contracts were nothing but you biting on the fraud that, yeah, I'm in voluntary servitude. So from the fact that fraud is uh, ab initio uh, uh, no longer because it's exposed, no contract from the beginning that uses fraud stands, well, all the other subsequent contracts are all based on that too, aren't they? The fraud never stops. So, so yeah, but no, it, no. Let me tell you, when it stops, it stops when you go back and correct it from the start. If you try and correct yeah. every contract that you've ever signed, thinking that that's the nexus that's got you into this jurisdictional trap, then you're kind of. This is what Glenn said about it. You, you mentioned it earlier, Chris. Everybody's got a piece of the puzzle to some extent. Some people have more pieces than others. Okay. But if you don't know what we cover here, the fact that the whole basis of the system is a feudal system, if you don't know some of these very detailed things which are so damned important, then you're doing nothing but shadow boxing. You see any of our patriot groups out there shadow boxing there, Chris? Yes, uh, like Pancho Panza, they're fighting metaphorical windmills in the sun. So that's why this is so important. And I mean, look, I'll be the first to admit I'm a one-trick pony. I get on the reason I'm here every day is to talk about this stuff right here. We bring, you can't talk about it exclusively all the time. You can't go back and go over the basics of law every day. So you got to bring in other things. They're relevant and they're important. They have a bearing on what we discuss. But I'm a one-trick pony, and my trick is freedom. And I learned it pretty damn well. Here, here. Okay. So uh, uh, that's what we do here. If you want to join us, if you've got one of those latent questions that's been sitting back there, you're scared to death and shivering to call in and ask, get over it. <laughs> get over it, okay? That ain't, listen, if you're wanting to be free, those aren't the actions of somebody that wants to be free. Those are the actions sitting back cowering in a corner, being scared of the intimidation they've heaped on you that are exactly the first ingredients of powerlessness. How bad do you want it? Okay. Does the heart, does the fire of freedom 
Is it somehow been reignited in your heart and to the fact where it starts to, to generate a flame and takes over your whole being? Do you want to get up in the middle of the night and you got a sudden urge to go fa- paint your face half blue? <laughs> okay. So uh, anyway, I guess uh, we just started off with that today. If anybody wants to call in, they're certainly welcome to. You can also do it via Skype and just put in the search bar, PPN space hotline will pop up. You can directly connect to us that way too. I'll merge you in seamlessly with Chris and I, thanks to the <laughs> to the somewhat negligent engineers at Microsoft in charge of Skype. Um, what else is going on we need to talk about beside that? Well, I would uh, point out that those aren't my groups, although I do watch a multitude of groups. Uh, there's only one group, and that's the creators group. I try to... Uh, serve and uh, do so with uh, uh, diligence and fervor, uh, being an Ezekiel 33.6 watcher on the wall, blowing that shofar as long as I can. But there are a lot of things going on in the world, uh, more rattlings of sabers and uh, pounding of hammers for prosecuting the criminals and more war, war. As an item, that seems to be the uh, order of the day, and they're going to hold them accountable, jail for Hillary, jail for... Chef uh, or Shifty or whatever his name is. Uh, uh, these people are a bunch of. This is an interesting perspective, Roger. Perhaps they keep talking about a coup d'état. I think more actually a mutiny uh, could be, or a tiny move, uh, could be a descriptor used, and that's a particular Title 18 code of piracy on the sea and mutiny thereof. Uh, whether it's a seditious conspiracy to undermine the republic and to de-elect or to take out the president by any schemes they can uncock, whether it be by incompetency allegations without any substantiation, or perhaps even murdering him. I hear they've done at least four times, tried to kill him. He's got me beat by two. They've only tried to murder me twice, uh, and so far they've been unsuccessful, thank goodness, to help from above. So uh, that's all I can tell you. Well, Chris, I think you got somebody looking over you. Um, uh, that's my estimation. <laughs> I believe, uh, and me too, and I, I believe that it's more than four that they've attempted on this. This is pretty interesting. I picked up looking at an article the other night, though, on us perhaps prejudging Mr. Trump and some of his actions. You know, I uh, we don't, you and I don't have any. I think I sent you this by email. It was so cute, and, and I sent it out to some of the folks that we got instant communication with but there's a little uh, about a week ago I got a little one of these JPEG things and it showed uh, it had two sides and one of them it said this is what I ordered and it had a MAGA hat you know and the other one says this is what I got and it had a little red yarmulke with a star David on it and a picture of Trump okay <laughs> and I thought it was particularly <laughs> go ahead Right on point, as a matter of fact. <laughs> it was, and that's, of course, what made it so funny. Uh, but uh, I was looking at an article the other night on this changing the embassy from uh, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which caused a big stir a while back, you remember. In setting up that agency, Trump personally supervised the, the 
companies that were going to work on it and do the installation. The article said so he could make damn sure the damn thing wasn't bugged because they knew the old one was bugged from here to, to Sunday. And I went, well, okay. Uh, There's a rather curious fellow that was really some interesting discussion last night on the other channel that I participate on pretty frequently, and that's RBN. And it's uh, targeted in Michigan, Fred, targeted in Michigan, I think it is. And uh, he's a targeted individual. He's got some psycho psychiatric people who also were quite aware of his targeting by multiple different forms. And they were talking about the interstitial floors and having constructed some pretty big buildings around here in Las Vegas and some secured locations and some really high-tech stuff. I had become aware and worked on some of those facilities and done the piping in the rooms and stuff. And these are mystery floors that don't appear on the buttons on the elevator, but you've got to have a special key for a select group that are qualified, cleared, and authorized to work there. And that's where they do all the global tracking of all communications, every keystroke and, and perhaps every word spoken, whether it's by telephone, computer, or two cans and a string. Huh, I thought that would have been up in Utah where the facility is, but they've got something funky Well, that's a repository, an aggregating facility where they centralize collection and disseminate it to a few other places around the world, I think, and uh -huh. save it. Well, they're such Love nice, it. benevolent dictators. Uh, Joe, our buddy. I've been there, matter yeah. of fact, Roger. Oh, you've been in those floors, Chris? No, well, not at Bluffdale. I've been there by La Bluffdale, and I was parked on the side of the road taking some pictures and was invited to uh, disperse. <laughs> Apparently, they don't want any photographs taken of that secret place, although all you can see on top of the ground is a small amount of it. And there, who knows how many different levels they have below it and probably tied to the dumb, the deep underground military bases. Like the uh, Denver airport. Um, I don't yeah. know that we'll ever know everything these bastards have done. Uh, Joe, our good listener up in Ohio, has joined us, though. So he obviously has got something on his mind. Joe would drug you out from under the hood of a car in the garage to call in and say hello. Now, I know it must be something of substance. No doubt. Joe. Oh, Maybe Joe. he's just listening in. Oh, he's searching for his mute button, I think. Yeah, can you hear me now? Yeah, see, there yeah, he was searching yeah. for. I knew what he was doing. Hey, Joe. Okay. Uh, I have this statement here, and I want to see if this would be correct about the uh, being under the purview of the 14th Amendment. Yes, sir. So if I were to, if I were to state this, I am not a citizen of the U.S. under the purview of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. Is that close? Yeah, I'd put, you know, that, that little phrase, scope and purview, is something I picked out okay. out of reading, uh, reading a legal uh, case. I, I don't remember which one it was, but I always thought it had a nice ring to it because it is the whole okay. scope and the purview of that amendment. And, uh, yes, you'd be correct, and, and they'd have to recognize that. You could dress that up a little bit and say, I'm not related to black 
to black slaves who were given civil rights with the secession of the Civil War, however you wanted to phrase it, I think just that one statement would get you out of this shooting match. And all of our guys want to, you know, hell, I've been studying this legal stuff for 10 years, man. I want to use some of it. And they want to put it all in there right. and dress up their affidavit and make it all fancy, okay? And the, uh, the, the mm-hmm. best thing to do, in all honesty, you can make statements from now till the cows come home. And every positive statement you make, somebody you're giving somebody a shot to challenge you. But if you go in there and put it in a negative form, it's virtually impossible to disprove a negative. Oh. So instead of, and this is our big, our, now Chris, you've been around this Patriot stuff for a lot of years. Aren't all of our people, I got rights. I got them constitutional rights. All these statements they make, right? Every one of I've them. Heard are, that. Every one of them are challengeable. You go in there and say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm not related to black slaves who were given civil rights after the Civil War under the 14th Amendment. See ya. Challenge that, boys. Challenge it. Go right. ahead. Right. <laughs> well, that's where the buck stops then. Yes, sir. Right there. And and so that's the, you know, the little insights that I've gotten over all these years. And a lot of them, Chris, were from listening to other people, you know, and going to seminars <laughs> all over the damn country back when I couldn't afford it. Uh, to go listen to all these gurus (laughs) so I could do what my friend Ron Brown said we were all doing was guru hopping. We were just guru hopping. Man, one guru would come through, we'd do all his stuff. A couple months later, another guru would come through, we'd hop over to him, do all his stuff. We were covering all the bases because we didn't know. Okay, now times have changed. We know now. We know what the system is. We know how they've implemented it. We know what it does, the effects upon us, and we know how to get our asses out of it. So where do I go to file that affidavit? Well, you go, first of all, after you've got that written down, and there's a lot of little little dressings you could take. You could form it in the affidavit in the United States Code that's meant for without Okay, there's two there's two jurats, Joe, and I think Chris, what is it? Title, Title Seventeen. I never can remember all that stuff. Uh, I think it's eighteen seventeen forty six. Okay, uh, Title eighteen. Title eighteen, section seventeen forty six, according to Chris. Now, what that is, Joe, is right there in the United States Code. It tells you there's two jurats. A jurat is a penalty of perjury. It's an oath. Okay, uh-huh. and, and it's what you want to set up your affidavit with because one of them's for the federal people and the other one's for the national people. And the national one clearly states, I, de- I declare under penalties of perjury in the United States of America. And the other one just says, I declare under penalty of the United States. There's your federal, there's your national. And form it with that. You could just put that one sentence in there, Joe, and uh, go get it notarized. And if you don't want to apply for a passport with it, 
uh, which you don't have to do, but is a good idea if you can afford it. Just go ahead and go to the post office and go through the little routine with the clerk, and he's going to ask you for all that stuff. Driver's license should. Thomas didn't get asked for that. I think that's part of the problem he's going through out there. But you go through that, and they send it off to state. If you don't want to apply for a passport, I'd suggest you would put it in an envelope and get return receipt requested. You could do a notarial, a notarial uh, confirmation there at the start if you want. Now, somebody told me something very interesting the other day, though, and I didn't know this. And they said, well, you know, I don't do that. He said, what I prefer to do is to go to the post office and you go to the postmaster before you put it in the envelope. And the postmaster's got a stamp that they can put on it that shows that they were right there and witnessed it going into the envelope. I'd never heard that before. It's quite interesting, so somebody might want to explore it. It's another option on this mm. notorial right. uh, on confirmation that it got put into the envelope and mailed. Then you get your return receipt back, and I would put a little nice cover letter on there. Doesn't have to be long. Doesn't have to be too flowery, but, you know, Joe... Honey does draw more flies than vinegar, okay? So you put on there right, real right. nice. Uh, please place this. Please place my citizenship evidence and use their term. Please place my included citizenship evidence firmly and permanently in my administrative file. Thank you very much. Okay, please place my. Please place the, I'd say, please place the included citizenship evidence, and you could even put that in quotes, affidavit, firmly and permanently in my administrative file. Now, that's pretty nice. That's a pretty nice way of dealing with them, isn't it? Bunch of damn communist Edomite bastards. Slavers. Their history's mm-hmm. slavers. That's all they are. They've been doing it since they the dawn are. of time. They've been doing it since Babylon, and they're still doing it today. Did you get that, Joe? You need me to go over it again, buddy? Joe must be writing. Ask a He must be writing. He's writing. I think he's writing feverishly, Chris. No doubt. Uh, but I was too. you know, it doesn't have to be com. It's not complex. There used to be one. Then they formed another one that was secondary and subservient. And a ways down the line, they switched us all to the bottom one. What in the hell is so complicated about that? I'm waiting. I hear crickets. Hell, just wait a minute. We'll hear some dogs barking, no doubt. So this is... uh, And the mandate is to get this to a point where you've got control of it and it's simple in your mind. 
that's where the empowerment starts. When you can simplify it in your mind and get the complexity and get the intimidation and get the fear off of your fanny, that's where the power is. And they've done a hell of a job of stealing it from us. One hell of a job. Joe, did you get all that down, buddy? Or you didn't fall over or something up there, did you? I got it. Okay, good. Well, that's about, honestly, that's about as much as you need to do to get free. Now, as I've said so many times, that's your diploma. You know, you went through a whole bunch yeah. of years of high school or a whole bunch of years of college, and that's that's where the learning took place. That It's when you got finished with that that you got your diploma. And this thing you're going to send to the Secretary of State, your diploma. Right. Oh, sure. It's amazing how long it's taken me to filter it down to keep it simple, stupid, or keep it simple, short, or something. Yeah. It takes, speak right into the phone, Joe. You sound like you got your mouth away from the phone okay. a little bit, and I want everybody to hear what you got to say. It does take okay. time. Okay. And, and I understand yes, that and it, they have yeah, made. Because I always had this concept, it was, it was this big, long, drawn out thing, but it really isn't. And I just had, I've been uh, concentrating it down, down, down over, you know, what's been a year and a half or so now since I've been listening. Well, like old Free Dumb, you know, that called in the other day that we've got this little bit of a relationship. We'll probably hear from him at some point in coming days. And it's like he said, he said, hell, Roger, I heard you seven years ago. And I said, well, I'm just going to sit back and see how Roger does. <laughs> so, well, here I am seven years later. <laughs> cool. I'm right behind you, Roger. Way behind you. <laughs> I remember one day I was listening to Spingola, who I, I really like Deanna. And uh, and Deanna was on her show there, and it was years ago, and it was right after we'd gotten out there with our info. And John Cacereb was a big advocate of this stuff from early on. And did it just helped me immensely in the early days of this project. And uh, Deanna had some Hollywood guy on, and I just don't remember who it was. Uh, but... He, he was on there talking to her about something, and John called into the show, and he starts explaining my stuff to the guy, okay? And whoever the guy was, I remember the comment he made. He said, and I've heard it too uh, subsequently, is he said, it can't be that simple. It can't be that simple, but yes, it is that simple. Now, getting to that point where you got the guts to do it and the understanding and you become partially empowered is not simple, and I'll certainly agree with everybody because we've all been down the path to get to this point of understanding, whatever your point of understanding is. You've gone through a little bit of knot untying to get to that point. But that's the empowerment process, Joe. Obviously, you've been going through it for a year and a half, going and untying all those double-minded knots they've tied in your mind with these opposite definitions of words and understanding that they've got the system set up where the deal is done when you take your first breath. When you take your first breath, you're already in voluntary servitude. And then on, everything confirms it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had me go to Vietnam for them, huh? Yeah, and, and, and that's why they're constantly asking you, and they've got it structured this way because that allows them, at least on the surface, to adhere it to constitutional principles because it's still voluntary. That's why they have to recognize that affidavit because our people do not realize they think they're totally 100% lawless and for the most part, they're not. Yes, they get out of line, but to, to, to a large extent, they have a legal peg that they're hanging their hat on and the evidence is that they recognize that affidavit and they had to put that verbiage no matter how twisted they had to put that verbiage in the passport application. Okay. Yep. Now, were it not for that, were it not for the fact that I was told to leave the country ten and a half years ago, all those things, I may still have never looked at a passport application and seen the answer I looked for for 15 years to that point when I saw it that day. Oh. oh, you know, Roger. I think the listeners might like know who told you to leave the country. Well, I don't know who told me. Whoever speaks to you in an inaudible voice that you hear inside your head. <laughs> Extraterrestrial source? I have no idea. It may have been them beaming. Beaming. They can do that stuff too, evidently, right, Chris? It may have been them beaming in there. But what what happened was I was sitting there in Florida. I'd been, you know, left Atlanta. I was help, living with my mom there in the big family house. She lives by herself. And I was sitting there in the office one day, and the voice came, and it said, you need to get out. That's all it said. You need to get out. And... It's the second time it had come to me. It had happened once years earlier. And you kind of shake your head. First of all, you say, where the hell did that come from? Okay. And secondly, you start shaking your head and you go in and then you go through the denial stage. And and I didn't do anything about him. Well, where would I go? I've never traveled anywhere. I don't speak another language. I've always wanted to do some of those things, but I never had. And so where do I go? That's the first thing everybody asks if that idea even crosses your path. Well, where the hell would I go? Okay. And I went through that process and I just put it on the back burner. And a, a while later, a few days later, it came again and it said the same thing. You need to get out. Well, the second time I've learned at this point, if it comes twice, you better take heed. And it was uh, shortly after that, I was watching a program on public broadcasting that probably still airs called Globe Trekkers. Have y'all ever seen that? Nope. Well, it's a couple of young Brit. Sounds like a precursor to Anthony Bourdain. Well, it's a cool program. It's a couple of young Brit kids, you know, millennials back in that day. This is 10, 15 years ago now. I'm sure, they're a bit older and longer of tooth now. But they'd go to different countries around the world. And what they'd do is show a, a map of the country at the start of the hour-long episode, whatever country it was. And they'd tell you where they were going and show you their route on that map. And then they'd go 
that route and they'd eat all the local food and talk to people and tell you about it. Well, that Saturday night after the second time, I was looking at, at Globe Trekkers because I like that program and it was on Argentina. And I had a dear friend who had owned property down there for a few years and kept bug bugging me to go down there with him. And I never had had a passport up to that point. And so then that show on on uh, uh, Globe Trekkers that night of Argentina. And I remember, because when, when my friend was telling me about it all, all those years, and I asked the same question that people asked me when I got down there, which is, well, is it close to Buenos Aires? <laughs> no, I mean, and you know, Argentina's a pretty big country, okay? And I remember him telling me, he said, no, 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 it's on the opposite side of the country. And that night on that program, they started up in northern Argentina in Salta, which was where the country was founded, by the way, not on the coast, up at Salta, and by Jesuits that had been exploring the Amazon. And they came out of the Amazon, boom, founded Salta. And so Salta, then they went down this very famous, it's famous worldwide, uh, and it's the road I had my accident on. And that's one of the reasons it's famous, is accidents like the one I had, uh, is a road called Ruta 40. And Ruta 40 starts up in Salta and goes all the way down to Ybarra at the south, all along the Andes, either in or beside the Andes for the whole way. And that's a big chunk of South America. And so they came down Route the 40 to Mendoza, where I lived, and he had told me it was. And so I saw a little bit of Mendoza on that program. And then they went down to Bariloche in the south, the Switzerland to South America, and they ended up in Buenos Aires. And so the next morning I had him on the telephone say, tell me about Argentina. Because I'd, I'd heard the message twice and I saw some place where I knew somebody had property and had connections and had told me it was a nice place. And that's where the whole thing started, Joe. And so then I made the decision. And then after I made the decision, I knew I had to get a passport. And at that reluctant stage of the process, I went to our little post office. I didn't even look online. I went to our little post office because I knew they had copies. And I picked up the first time just the initial, it was orange color scheme application. And I took it home. I didn't look at it. I took it home and I sat back and I said, well, I guess I got to read this thing. And I sat there and looked at the first page and I'm not kidding you. And I'm not kidding you one bit. The answer I'd looked for for 15 years was at the top of the page. Um, I think someone, I think some, I think a certain spirit is leading you, my brother. I think so. Well, I've, you know, it's funny that you should say that because being a man of some humility, which I try to be, uh, when you start getting that kind of indication, you don't want to think it's true. Can Understood. You, okay. But after a number of years of over and over and over and over of these things happening, just like I just described to you, you get to a point sure. where you, you can't, <laughs> you, you get to the point where you don't question it anymore. Uh, that's right. You know, and I, I've talked about it on the program before, the spiritual path of this whole 
project from the days back when John Benson was 15 years old. Have you ever heard me tell that story? Um, no. John Benson. So. Maybe not. John not Benson. There's a lot of well, stories, you know. <laughs> John Benson was a devout Mormon. Okay. And one of the one of the biggest pains to him, I'm sure, his entire life was he got excommunicated from the church because of these felony convictions, which were bogus. All right. And uh, when he was a young man in the Mormon religion, they call they have this thing that's called. Let me see if I can a patriarchal blessing. And it must be like a bar mitzvah. Or down here in the in the southern hemisphere, they don't do it with boys; they do it with girls. And with girls, the fifteenth birthday is this really big milestone, like a bar mitzvah for a boy that's Jewish. And they have big parties and all this stuff when girls have their kinse cumpleaños, is what they call it. Kinse is fifteen, and cumpleaños is birthday. And so when they have that same type of a ritual in the Mormon church, except it deals with the males. And when the male comes of age, quote unquote, they have this patriarchal blessing ceremony. And what they do is put the young man in a room and an elder of the church comes in and lays hands on him and foretells his future. Okay, you familiar with that, Chris, the patriarchal blessing? You got a lot of Mormons out there. Yeah. Usually several elders lay their hands on you and anoint your head with olive oil, which has supposedly been consecrated, set apart as it were, uh, for healing and uh, other special purposes. Well, when John went through his patriarchal blessing, Joe, the, the elder came in and he put hands on him and he said, people will come to you from north, east, west, and south to seek their freedom. Wow. <laughs> That's true. Wow. Okay. Now, where... You know, when, this uh, kind of emanates... Go ahead, Chris. ...from another concept that wherever two or more are gathered in his name, his spirit exists. And so there is some gravitas behind the concept and absent uh, personal agendas or interdictions, interventions, uh, there could be some efficacy to two or more uh, assembling in the name and consecrating someone and examining them for their gifts and uh, paths that they're supposed to walk on. Well, and, and so John, to continue the story a little bit, Joe, John was, had always been interested in the law. The reason we know all this substantive stuff we know, like the uh, legal concept of person and all that stuff, is because he just loved the law. And he went studying a bit of it in his earlier years as he got into married and had a family and he started working as a civil servant in the contracting division, I believe for the Air Force. And he was doing some civil service contract work and so he became particularly interested in contract law and then because of his own predilection, he became even more interested in tax law. So that's what started everything. Well, as he got into it and started applying all this stuff, he was in the Denver area. And he was in that Patriot group out there. You mentioned somebody there earlier from that group, Madsen. 
and all those guys, Dean Stoner, I talked about a little bit yesterday, who ran Global Science Fair, uh, and, and all that group of guys out there, I know for a fact that another one of them was uh, John Nelson. And he and John Nelson used to do a lot of studying together in the early days, all right? And so uh, he'd gotten this basis, and he was in the university. Of, I guess they used to go to the University of Denver Law School. And he was in the law library there, Joe, at the University of Denver, and he was looking at something back in the old, you know, in a law library, if you've never been in one, they've got all the contemporary stuff that you can lay your hands on and all the U.S. stuff and, and the feds up and all the U.S. Supreme Court cases. But back at the back of the library, they'll generally have some sort of a reference section on old English stuff. And he was back in the old English section of the law library at the University of Denver looking something up. And those aisles are a little bit narrower back there because there's not as many people use them. And as he turned around, he knocked another book from the opposite shelf with his elbow and it fell on the floor open. Okay? Well, John, being a respecter of books and knowledge, reached down and grabbed the book that fell on the floor, and where it opened, it was a book, and that chapter was about the Exchequer, which is the Treasury of England, and it was a list of things, Chris, that the Exchequer could not seize when they did a writ of extent, which we know is a seizure. And John looked at that, and he said, well, I'll be damned. That's the same thing they can't seize today. Hmm, what a coincidence, or a revelation. Okay, and so I've known of these little incidents over all these years before I even came on the scene, okay? But I can look back over the last 28, whatever it's been, years, and see that, my life seems to have been guided. And I mean, mm, as you indeed. look back, I don't mean just from the last 28 years. I mean from the earliest days when I was guided into being a smacky mouth radio disc jockey when I was in my early 20s mm -hmm. so that 50 years down the line, I'd have that experience and get on here and do these shows. I can see where after my record business years that I was guided into the teaching profession for 10 years so that I could polish my speaking skills and appreciate the love that I have for what I'm doing and helping other people in life through teaching. It's, a, it's the most wonderful feedback and, and I can tell you this, what it's done for me is it gives my life more purpose than it's ever had before. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And I could have never realized it if I wasn't in this position. And so I can look back. I could probably give you two or three more stories, Joe. But I promise you, there's been a divine hand in this project since the time when John Benson was in his early years. And if it wouldn't have been for him, we wouldn't know hardly any of what we know today. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, 
You've never heard me one time in the seven or eight years I've been on the radio get on here and take credit for this information. I always give the credit where it's due. Now, I will take credit for what I've added because I stood on their shoulders and I added a dimension that they didn't even dream about, okay? But I could never have done it had not John laid the groundwork. My own personal life, I really am surprised that I have learned what I have. Five years ago, if I started to read a book, I was 20 minutes and that was it. Now, it's like the more I read, the more awake I become. And I wasn't a very good student in school. And as I look back, it's like you start adding things up. It's like I lived through this, I lived through that, this happened, that happened. And you start to see... Something's happening here. I think I'm just waiting for my, what do you call it, a format or something. It's like I have all these things to say, but those are delicious. Yeah, well, I've been there. I've been there, buddy. Well, as I heard, I think it was a Mark Twain quote that I saw the other day. said, don't let your school and interfere with your education, Joe. <laughs> exactly. Hey, hello, hello. Come on in there, ten buddy, ten four, good buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll revert back to CB talk since nobody wants to call in and give us any good questions, Joe. Yours was a good one though, and uh, this is what I know. When I talked about this the other day and why, I my suspicion is that the that the Secretary of State up there has received way more than a hundred thousand of these things. Okay. And wow. I right. got to know that every time that one of them shows up up there at Foggy Bottom, somebody on the seventh floor sphincter muscle tightens. You know, Roger, as the escalating violence picks up tempo and the war drums beat louder, more people are going to be driven to the obvious that they must do something to upright this upside down ship and correct this demonic takeover of this government and replacing it with some other form of government because it's clear as the nose on your face that something is dramatically wrong. Well, hey, Chris, how many times have you heard this? I'm just one person. What can I do? You ever heard that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Lighting brush fires in the Mayan men is nearly a small thing. Okay, well, I'm only That's one right. guy. Look what the hell I've accomplished. You got it. I got to run in and take care of some business. I'll be back. Okay, Joe. Uh, you know, that, that that's it. You, you're right. You can't do anything about them and the control they've got and the levers of power they control, okay? But you can do something about you. And you're the only thing you can affect change in. One thing I think is my role is People watch me, I think, a little bit more than I think. I think they watch you, me, more than what they listen to what I say, probably. Well, that's probably a lot of truth in that, Joe. People watch your actions <laughs> and see, and, and that's the power of what we're doing. Okay, now, and I've talked about it yep. before. As I've come into these things that I understand, understand a little bit better, I'm going to hit my cough button for a second here. Actions and, do speak louder than words, as a and, matter of fact. That's right. And as I come in to understand these things, one of the things that I've come to understand a while back is the difference between, and I'm not 
is, is dark power, let's say dark power instead of black power. Dark power versus light power. Okay, now they switch that dialectic and say Lucifer's the son of the light. Okay, but that's not, that's dark power. And if you'll notice with dark power, it cannot exercise itself unless it reaches out and touches you. You know, if the... If Positive the, versus it, negative. Right. A versus B. Either the IRS going to send you a letter or maybe a CID guy's going to show up at your door or OSHA or like Stephanie, they have a meeting and Dark Power says, oh, we're going to come on you. your land and, and come sample your water there. You can't do a damn thing about it under the Clean Air Act, okay? So Dark Power has to exercise itself in that manner. But White Power, and let's use Jesus as an example, White Power attracts. And it's just exactly what you said, Joe. People watch you, and it's what Chris said. Actions speak louder than words, and they see that something has changed in Joe. Something has changed, and they don't know what it is unless you've been talking to them, but if they're just observing and you had not been talking to them, something happens. Joe walks with his shoulders a little bit more upright. He's, he, he's a little bit more confident. He, all these other things that didn't used to be in Joe's regular routine, they see and they want what you've got. And now they become curious because white power attracts. People don't listen to this program and go read my book just because they don't have anything else to do. They know now that there's something of substance in there. And people like our friend Freedom that's been monitors for seven damn years knows darn well there's some power there. And then they want when you it. become informed, possessed with knowledge, you know the truth. And you walk different. You carry yourself in a different fashion. You have a different character, persona, an aura, a Karelian photography around yourself. You project positivity instead of negativity. And that is very observable in today's deviant and wrong-minded negative existence we possess ourselves in. And then, Joe, here's the next step. Oh, Joe must have left. I know he's still listening. The next step is you've got this incubancy of knowledge and power and you've done the things that you knew you had to do and now you start to exercise it. And you go in and deal with one of these guys and they start asking you the questions and you go like, and the perfect example was Daryl at the gun shop. He told us that story a few years ago. He'd bought it, gone in there and bought guns before and he knew those good old boys that are up there in Alabama at the gun store and he goes in to buy a new one and the guy puts him through the background check and he says, well, what's your status? He says, well, I'm a U.S. national. And the guy looks at him and says, they won't sell it to you. And he goes, well, humor me. And so the guy gets the FBI check on the phone. He says, he's, this guy says he's a U.S. national. And the guy on the other end says, wait a minute. Yep, sell it to him. And at that moment, Daryl became more empowered. At that moment, whatever confidence he had to that point increased. You see how that happens? And then so now he's got a little bit more confidence and he goes out and does something else and somebody says, well, are you a citizen of the United States? Nope. Are you a resident? Nope. 
Okay, boom. And he steps out of there with whatever he wanted to get done done. He goes, hell, I'm even a little bit more empowered. And it feeds on itself. They can't tell you no. It's not their option. They just know they're supposed to ask a question. They, they got some kind of a, a protocol you're going through and part of their part of it is to ask you those questions. They don't know. And what my experience was so many years ago is they don't care. They just know you got to give them an answer. I think some of them are starting to care, Roger. Well, that may be, Chris. This was many years ago when I was up there doing all this stuff, you know. And I know times have changed. And I know they're, they're damn sure aware of what's going on. I guarantee you they've gotten over 100,000, and they may have gotten multiples of that up there. Very they, likely. They I'm going to be offline for a few minutes. Okay, okay. Well, I'll, maybe somebody else wants to call and help me carry the water bucket here. They know darn well that we're wise to them. They know darn well they've been caught with their feet, with their hands, and with their blood essence sucking proboscis in the damn cookie jar. They know it. The best they can do is just act like it ain't happening and totally ignore it. And you'll never get them to recognize it. They don't want to bring attention to this. Can you understand why? It's just like when our, our listener student, Matt, got that affidavit put into his divorce trial by the ex-wife's attorney who thought this was all crap, sovereign citizen crap. And they're the ones that got all, I guess they got my book mentioned in, in their admission into evidence. My name was in there and a part of the background of it and part of that background was they submitted for their little deal, a copy of the affidavit that got put into evidence because it was them putting it in there. Nobody looked at it. And so he gets up there on the stand in court and because it's now in evidence, he pulls out the, de the affidavit and starts reading it. And the judge says, don't read that document. Don't read that document in open court. They don't want this information out there. That threatens the judge and everybody up the line all the way to their ultimate boss, the damn Secretary of State, I'm sorry to say, this absolute neocon goon, Mike Pompeo. God, if we had a sequence of goons in that office. Lurch, John Kerry, Hillary Clinton, Pompeo. You can sure as hell tell they control the State Department. Incestuous. And all the power is up there at the seventh floor where all these pseudo Frankfurt School, PhD, Columbia University, Edomite, slave and bastards have their offices. And don't you think for one minute but that's not exactly what they are and exactly who they are. They're history's slavers. They think it's their right to enslave other people. That's the despicable human beings 
that we're unfortunately having to deal with. That's the despicable human beings, if they are, that unfortunately control this world. But you don't have to be affected by them unless you want to continue to be. Okay, Chris had to duck out. Joe had to duck out. Nobody else has called in. Let's see what the heck we got here. Let me check Zero Hedge and see if... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff starting to break out of the Ukraine, and, and I think it's uh, very interesting that they don't want Russia in Venezuela, but they sure don't have any damn problem loading up Poland and the Ukraine and where the hell is stand and all these other places that they're getting missiles in uh, and getting into NATO. No problem there, but don't you dare come down here under a treaty you've already signed and do anything with Venezuela. The hypocrisy of these people reeks from morning to night. Eric, Eric Hoagland, Eric Hoagland is going to answer the call. He heard me floundering here, and he said, I'll throw an arm out to old Raj and give him a hand. Hey, Eric. Hey, Roger. How you doing today? Pretty good, all in all. How about you, Eric? I was thinking about you the other well, day. I'm in the, yeah, I'm in the process of uh, applying for Social Security. Okay, good. Well, no problem and with that. Catching the app with it. Yeah, and that's kind of exciting. It's a new status to do it with. Yes, and just make sure you get that affidavit in with your application. That's what I did down there in Argentina, oh. and I've never yeah. had a day. Uh, well, now, I, I, I take that back. I did have some problems with Social Security, but it wasn't anything I'm like gonna... you, you'd think, Eric. It was a horror story. Go ahead, Chris. You're back, huh? Yeah, I wanted to chime in on that, on that specific question, because he is in the area that he is with the Social Security. When you append or align that affidavit of corrected status, you'll be very pleased that you'll only lose a couple of dollars a month from your Social Security. I think it's about three or four dollars, as I recall, which is inconsequential, and it may have a dramatic effect on the escalation of amounts you receive back well, from your Socialist Security payment. You know, I've told this story, but my friends in Argentina... Uh, uh, just really dear, dear friends of mine that I met down there, about my age. And Nick, the husband, was a taxi driver. And, and he's put two children through college, and one of them was the valedictorian and uh, uh, did just raised a, a really nice children and a really nice man and his wife, okay? Well, they lived in the U.S. for 11 years up in New Jersey. He was a machinist. And they had their children up there. So their children were birthright citizens. But years ago, they left and drove all the way back down to Bariloche, actually south of Bariloche, a little town called El Bolson. That's an interesting story all its own. But they drove all the way down there. Her brother was a Baptist preacher down there. And Chris, this was back, it must have been in, in about the 80s. And they drove from New Jersey all the way south of Bariloche down the Pan Am Highway in a pickup truck with a 90-something-year-old woman and their two children who was Argentinian and wanted to go back to Argentina to die. And they drove the whole Pan Am Highway in that configuration back then, which had to have been a real trip, okay? Regardless, 
Uh, because he was a green card holder up there in New Jersey, Nick paid into and qualified for Social Security. But they're not U.S. They're Argentinians, and they've been gone for a lot of years, 20-plus years. And so they had to go through the embassy in Buenos Aires. If you're in a foreign country, you're applying for one of the benefits, you've got to go through the embassy of that country. Boom, period. And so they had to go down there to the embassy. It's 600 miles each way and go down there and talk to them and get this paperwork. And they were always demanding more paperwork and more documentation. And they had to come up with a stack of stuff. And I'm not kidding you, a stack either. And so at the end, when they're getting ready to go ahead and put them on what they've earned and paid into, the IRS writes them a letter and it says, because you're not a resident, we may take 25%. And they did. And they do to this day. So if you're getting out, and I can't imagine why the change would affect your amount, but if it does and it's that negligible, hell, it doesn't make any difference to me. I'm just proud to be getting it. There you go. Uh, Joe, have you ever hey, heard me tell that story that Neil Bortz used to tell about Social Security? You may not have. It's pretty interesting. Chris, I'll get to you in just a second. Just hold what you're going to say. Bortz used to tell this story because he, you know who Neil Bortz is, first of all? Have you ever heard of him, Joe? I do. Okay, Joe's not on us. It's Eric. I'm sorry, Eric. Have you ever heard of Bortz, yeah, Eric? Well, oh, he's yeah, a, definitely. Well, he's a, he was big time in Atlanta for years. He's an attorney, and he used to be – he was in, in high school in Pensacola. His daddy was uh, military, too. And he was a guy that the principal of the school said, I need somebody to do school announcements on the PA system. It's going to be you. And so that's how he got his broadcast experience was in the high school for announcing over the PA system. So anyway, he went up, got his law degree, did lawyer, and got into a little uh, ring radio, WRNG there in Atlanta, a little talk show host, and had quite a local following. Well, when uh, he went over to GST, which is the talk show station there in Atlanta, and he had a, a pretty large following there, and then he got courted by WSB, the Cox Broadcasting Outfit there, because they wanted to syndicate him. And when he left GST and moved over to WSB is when Sean Hannity came to town, okay? And so all, all that back to there. But Bortz used to tell this great story, Eric, and he would. Uh, uh, he said, "There's when they passed the Social Security Act originally, there was a loophole in there where cities and municipalities, if they started a parallel system for their own employees internally, they could opt out of the Social Security system. They've closed that loophole since. But there was one town down there in Texas, somewhere close to Houston, Beaumont, down in that area." that were smart enough to opt out of the Social Security system when it was formed. And the people that are trash collectors and worked at the water department and all that stuff, in that little town, you know what they are retired? This was 20, 15 or more years ago now, okay? Back then, you know what they were getting for their Social Security? Oh, go ahead. No, Take a wild-ass guess. <laughs> How much they were getting? Yeah. Oh, a thousand dollars a month. About try ten thousand dollars a month. 
Wow. Try 10000 a month, 120000 a year for somebody that worked in the water department because it didn't run through the federal system where they steal 90% of it and then send it back to you. Yep. Okay. So, uh, well, Eric, what else is going on with you? You're about to apply for Social Security. Are you doing it at 62 or did you wait till you're 65? Ah, uh, 62 and a half. Good for you. And I'm now, a, you know, I'm going to get all I can out of them. Well, absolutely. And you know, it's funny when I did that and they try and push you off till 65. Have you had any interactions with them yet? Not yet. I'm filling out the paperwork now oh. and attaching everything. And I'm going to go down tomorrow to the social security office and file it. Okay. Well, when I did it, I had to do it over the telephone. Tell them I was going to apply and all that stuff. And the girl says, well, are you sure you don't want to wait till you're 65? You get more. Yeah. Okay. Now, at that point, Eric, what's the logical question that you ask when they make that statement? I'm just taking it now. I don't have a question. No, no, no. no. There's, a good que- there's a real good question lurking there that nobody asks. What do you it think? May, it it may not be there when I'm 65. Well, the question is, how much more? Oh, don't you want to wait till you're 65? You'll get more. How much more? Oh, about $30 a month. I said, give it to me now. Yeah. I'll take it now. Thank you very much. Yeah. Three years of inflation does not equate to 30 a month three years down the line. No. You got that right. <laughs> the other thing that uh, I think you pointed out, too, with the passport, Ralph Ruinerud pointed it out. And on the first page of the passport, it says, The Secretary of State of the United States of America hereby requests all whom it may concern to permit the citizen slash national of the United States named herein to pass without delay and hindrance and in case of need to give all lawful aid and protection. Now, I'll tell you so that, right there, the citizen slash national. It's all through the documentation. I'll tell you there's something else very interesting on the passport itself <clears throat> if you're astute enough to notice it, and that is that both statuses are represented. They say U.S. on a lot of the verbiage, but if you'll look in the background uh-huh. on the background in the back, what does it say? USA. Right, right. Okay. They uh, Man, uh, listen, these guys are slick, buddy. They cover every little angle. This is so well thought out, so well planned, and incredibly well uh, 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 instituted. Yeah, amazing. I mean, look at how long it's taken us to figure this thing out from 1933 on March the 9th. How many decades it took to figure it out. Just the three years of the three men's lives that I'm intimately familiar with, over 100 years of our personal lives and research to get to these simple things that we lay out for you for free here on this radio program on a daily basis. Yep, it's just learning the knowledge and uh, putting it to use. 
and I appreciate everything you've done. Well, and I and I appreciate the fact that it touched you and you've and it motivated you and you've done what you've done. You know, you people doing what you're doing is what gives me the absolute maximum feedback. I can sit here and run my jaw and run my mouth all day long for years, and if it doesn't touch anybody, there's no feedback. I know I'm getting the truth out, but when I see it touch somebody and change your life, that's my feedback. Yep. That's my attaboy. That's when the big guy gives me an attaboy. (laughs) And it's real special. It's real special, man. I'm telling you. And you may, if you, I hope you can appreciate this, but you may not be able to. What I'm about to tell you, if you don't have something that gives your life purpose, man, I I feel so sorry for you. Find something that gives your life purpose. It makes all the difference in the world. Well, I got that. I got a grandson that means all to me. And uh, that's the purpose why I'm putting everything away for him, ultimately. You, you do cuckoo over that grandson a lot, don't you? Well, yeah, you have to. I mean, <laughs> he's the only one I got, so probably the only one I'll ever have. Well, see, so, uh, I don't have, I, see here, Eric, I don't have anything like that in my life, so you people are my grandchildren. You people are my yeah. children. I've said that before on the air, and people laugh at me, but that's exactly how I look at every one of you guys. That's why I take so much care with everybody that's new that comes along and try to grab them by the hand and walk them down this path. The easiest, quickest way I can get you down the damn path to the circle in the forest where understanding lies. Yeah. Hey, Roger, a little bit about the cryptos. Yes, sir. How about that this the, morning? The case- right? The KBC is up over ten cents a coin. Uh, they're projecting it to be fifty cents or forty cents by July fourth. Actually, it's guaranteed to be forty cents if you're a Carabars member. Yes, <clears throat> and we should probably. And, uh, we, I, we mentioned this a, a while back, and I'm glad that you touched on it, Eric, uh, because I, you know, I've got a pretty good familiarity familiarity with this company for many years. Hey, Doug, and when he came out with that offer a couple of months ago that on July the uh-huh. 4th, it's Gold Freedom Day, and that he yep. would exchange 100 coins for a gram of gold. Now, right, a gram right. of gold is above 24 karat, pure carat bar gold is about $75, okay, thereabouts. And so that would mean that at least it had to be $0.07 cents for him to break even. Right, right. And, okay. So uh, what I got back from Pat Gamble, I mentioned it a little yesterday, sent me a message Sunday night after the Dubai thing was over, and he said at the meeting they were saying that the carrot bar coin will be 50 times its current value by September. Now, whether that I, I, from from his lips to God's ears, okay? Because if it's well, I, fifty I times it. what it is right now in September, it's going to be about five dollars a coin. And any of us that got yep. into it for under a penny are going to be very happy. Hey, Doug, how, what's going on in Northwest Arkansas today, brother? Oh, it's a beautiful day. Uh, had to work on a leak under my sink, and. Um, I've been listening to the show here, and one of the things uh, that you mentioned early on 
was about making statements that are challengeable, excuse me, uh, as opposed to what I understand to be negative averments in the legal vernacular. And um, I, uh, I've written a lot of uh, uh, court documents using this tactic, if you will, but I would like you to uh, explain that maybe more clearly, uh, you or Chris or someone else that's familiar with it. Well, I mean, it's pretty simple. You make a positive statement, somebody can challenge you. If you make a, a negative statement, it's much more difficult for them to challenge. I'm not saying they can't, because some slick Edomite might be able to figure out a way to do it. But generally, that's pretty much it. If you come from a negative thing, it's like, okay, disprove this. If you if you make a positive statement, they're trying to disprove what you're saying, aren't they, if they're going to challenge it. Yeah, well, what I did, uh, the the um, tactic I used was uh, a statement like, I am not in possession of any evidence to the contrary that I am a 14th Amendment citizen or not a 14th Amendment citizen. Um, does that make sense? Well, it does, but why not go back to the, what's the what's the foundation of the Fourteenth Amendment? Citizen is a black slave who was in in slavery uh, before the Civil War, and that's what the only category of people, to my knowledge, that that amendment applied to. So, so then you I would might. say, in this situation, you would say, I am not in possession of any evidence. To the contrary, that I am a 14th Amendment citizen. Well, I would say something like I'm not related to black slaves who were freed after the Civil War. If I, I might. I, I receive, and here we go back to the substantive law. You can, Chris, just hold on a second. Now, if you really want to get into it, now you can go back to this substantive law of, you know, I receive no rights, no civil rights from the 14th Amendment, therefore I owe no correlative duties. See, now that's... And Black's Law, Black, Black's Law, um, you know, I looked this up before I called in because it's been 20 years since I used to write a lot of documents uh, um, for myself and others. Uh, but um, uh, that's what blacks, and I'm speaking from uh, the revised fourth edition here, but, you know, he that's probably the most important word in, in the description here is that it's substantive, which is another very important word when it comes to, if you will, rights. Yep. Yep. Because they have these rights they call rights over there under their UCC stuff, but they're really privileges. And, uh, yeah, there's, I, I mean, how many, I countless times, and I hear the highest people of, of expertise and accomplishment in our field on the Internet and videos and get up there and say, constitutional rights, constitutional rights, constitutional rights. The only rights that the Constitution bestows on anybody are under the scope and purview of the 14th Amendment. Otherwise, you receive your capital R rights and owe your capital D duties to the capital G God. 
and your residency. And if you're a citizen, then you're a capital C citizen. Correct, and your residency. And yeah. if they ask you where your residency is, you say heaven. Amen. Okay, because <laughs> when you file yeah. this and you move over into that status, that's exactly where your residency is. Your residency is where you receive your rights and to whom you owe your duties. That's substantive law, okay? And should you be over in this U.S. national state citizen, I'd suggest you don't use that word, but it is appropriate. Why not use their nomenclature? When you move over to the exempt pool of folks, you go in there and you owe your rights, and you get your rights from God, and you owe your duties to heaven and him, and that's your residency. So if anybody asks the you... Only anybody legitimately ask you that question, well, if you're not a resident of the state, Doug, where is your residency? Well, I reside in heaven because that's where I yeah. get my rights I and to whom I owe my duties under my corrected status. Well, like Brent mentions often uh, that uh, the Father Creator is the only true law creator and law giver. Yep. The rest are imposters, buddy. What gives that man the right to pass laws and implement them on me? That's the question. Chris, you were going to say something a minute ago? Well, I was just going to interject that in their world, they work in the duality, the two-faced. Sure they do. That positives are negatives, that positive law and negative law are the same thing. Assets and debits are the same thing. There is no separation in their world. So whether you positive or negative aver but deny their allegations is basically inconsequential as long as you do not admit to being what false label or false gloss of label they try to label you with for their own predatory interests. If you have a verb denied, rebutted, or otherwise cast off their inferences, then you have effectively mooted or denuded their efforts to false label you for their own predatory interests. Well, you got to do it in just the right way to just the right person. That's the hitch. Okay. Uh, listen, let me get let me plug this guy a little bit because I've been watching a bunch of his videos lately and I'm super impressed with him. And I wanted to talk about this yesterday. We got off into a pretty spirited conversation yesterday. This guy, Sefer, Robert Sefer, and if you may remember him if the name doesn't really ring a bell with you, he's the guy that, that wrote uh, 1666 Redemption Through Sin. And I was watching some of his man. He has got a bunch of stuff on the internet on these little short things, videos he's done on different, really important uh, uh, historical and uh, uh, anthropological type. Uh, things on where we came from and tracing lineage and all through arrowheads. He's got just got a myriad of different videos on there. And just go, let me get a spelling. It's S-H-E-P-H-R, I think. Okay, it's a very unusual uh, uh, name. I, uh, yeah. I think S-E-P-H-R. 
S-E-H-A-R. Well, Stephar. that's not even correct. I'm sitting here looking at it. It's S-E-P-E-H-R. Sephar. S-E-P-E-H-R. And I highly encourage, if any of y'all like to look into this type of historical stuff, to go in there and watch. Just put his name into YouTube and probably a whole bevy will come up. I've just been referencing them over on the right side where they list other ones. But this guy is a super, super guy and does really, really good work, okay? Now, I was watching one the other night on the banking systems and the origins of banking and stuff. And there was a statement made in there that really caught my ear. And that is that the, the international banking system is that we're dealing with today came out of Venice in the 1500s and it's when this whole black nobility originated and Venice, Venice, Italy was the hub of trade. They had their own navy and stuff, man. Okay, and he said what we're dealing with now moved from Venice when Venice kind of lost its luster and it moved over to London and we've been saddled with it ever since. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Hey, Roger. Yes, Doug. One other thing I wanted to, that came to mind that I wanted to mention that's very important and salient in this, uh, on this issue is jurisdiction oh it's huge it's huge and yeah and um jurisdiction uh, when um i was working with this other older fellow you know 20 years back and so and and uh, we used to uh, help people out in, in court situations and that and there was one situation where this lady um somebody quote helped her and um uh, they just they every um, let's say county or jurisdiction they have their own rule book, okay, their own uh, rules uh -oh. in their in the particular jurisdiction, and whoever helped her, this uh, individual wrote something for her, copying something from another county, another jurisdiction, and of course we had to um, in. in she was getting into trouble with this and uh, the judge threw it out. But then you, then he realizes this um, uh, defendant doesn't know what they're talking about because they're using inapplicable rules from another jurisdiction. And so at this point it was like already a done deal uh, sort of, you know, but um, you know, we did the best we could, but at that point, um, the, uh, the horse was already out of the barn, uh, the corral, so to speak. And, uh, but jurisdiction is so important and we're going under the jurisdiction of heaven. Yeah, exactly right. And, now you'll yeah. probably have Daryl calling in because you're talking about his pet subject lately, municipal law. But my comment would be, but if you go 
to the, above the municipal law people that write their own rules and above the state people and go all the way to the head knocker that's controlling this thing and you make your statement to him, they've got to adhere to it. If you fight them from the bottom up, they're going to fight you just exactly like you said and try and take command. And, and you're going to have a hell of a time with that case fighting through all the layers of bureaucrats that have their entire future at stake to defeat you. Well, I just wanted to bring that up for uh, the benefit of elucidation on this uh, negative environment and jurisdiction and that kind of thing. Okay. Well, I'm glad you did because you brought something to mind. Uh, if you go to, and somebody was asking me yesterday, one of our students, Gary, saying, well, what volume of Black's Law should I buy? And I wrote him back and said, well, probably the fourth. Uh, isn't the fourth the green one or is that the sixth? Fourth is the one the, the Supreme Court. The, the fourth is the I'm green sorry. one, right? Yeah. Well, that one. The reason I recommend that is if you, any of you, you don't want to go. What's a What's a Black's Law dictionary cost these days? Fifty, seventy-five dollars, brand new from the bookstore. Go to a used bookstore, and you probably can find mm. one of those green ones, uh, or even a seventh for you know twenty bucks if not less. Well, you can, if you have a university in your, um, in where you live, um, they, the students have to buy these books. So, uh, I used to go, that's where I got some of my legal, uh, uh, books from, I'd go yeah. to the university cause we have a, yeah. And I used to also go into their law li library. It was, when you love something and you love to study it. Uh, so it brought me back to when I was doing uh, my work. And um, I used to go into the university because I had someone I was related to at the time that um, was a student at the university. So I could go in there and that was uh, quite an experience. I mean, well, they, they've got a lot of, documents uh law libraries if you know what you're doing and what you're looking for and can manipulate your way around them a little bit are pretty cool they got some really cool reference books in there and you can certainly uh investigate a whole lot okay what i wanted to bring up doug was the question the the word that was the point of your comment here jurisdiction now you have a fourth do you have it right there yeah well look up jurisdiction in the fourth and while you're doing that, okay. I was going to tell you what I know it has for it in the 7th. And I'm sure it's changed, okay? But if you go to the 7th, which is the one that I purchased and used a lot when I was doing a lot of my initial stuff, and go to the term jurisdiction, you know what it says, Chris, the definition for that? Now, jurisdiction is a pretty big concept, right? And you go to the notable law dictionary most people use, familiar with, blacks, and go to that term in the seventh. Do you know what it says? No, but I know that there were many changes because I did uh, compare uh, different books oh, they, at the time. They changed it. That's why I told Gary to get one of the earlier ones because they hadn't changed it as much as they have the later ones. Brent made a 
made a statement here a week or two ago that that it sounded like he had uh, really preferred uh, the seventh edition because of the people that had put it together. But Chris, do you know what it says in the seventh edition there for this huge concept of jurisdiction as a definition? I don't guess he does. Eric? Eric's still with us. Doug's, we're conversing. Well, let me tell you what it says. Since nobody wants to pony up here, that huge concept of jurisdiction that we could sit here and talk quite a bit about, okay? The definition in Black's Law Dictionary to the right of it says, the state of the forum, five words. That's the entire definition for the entire concept of jurisdiction, the state of the forum. Well, um, I'm looking at the word in my court here, and um, I, I'll read a little bit here. There's not a lot of, there's more, the whole thing is, um, there is a footnote here. But uh, there's like tons and tons and tons of cases, okay? Yep. And um, and uh, it says here in the beginning, the word is a term of large and comprehensive import, comma, and embraces every kind of judicial action. And then they just give a whole bunch of things. Now, here's the footnote. It is jurisdiction, it is is the authority, capacity, another important word there, power or right to act. And that's what this says. So where, as far as I understand this, we're talking about issues in court, primarily. But it could be with police, if you understand what jurisdiction you're under, then you know what it's, rules or policy do or don't apply to you. Let me let me give a, a really important base level lesson. Never argue jurisdiction with a police officer. Don't do it. <laughs> it is not good patriot etiquette. People that do that occasionally end up dead. Don't do it. Exactly. Now, here's another thing here. It says, jurisdiction, it is the power of him who has the right of judging. These are short sentences. There's another one. And then they have, like, just, you know, a dozen or a or, or hundred court cases. Um, here's another one. It is of three kinds of the subject matter of the, when they use the word person, and to render particular judgment which was given. Yep, and what happens is, Doug, they they have their jurisdictional statement in the first paragraph of every lawsuit that's filed. Now, you not understanding those words never recognized it as such. But right there at the first, it'd say, Doug Cosmos, a resident of Fayetteville County or Suey Pigs County or whatever the hell it is up there. 
And right there, a resident of, boom, there's their jurisdictional statement. First paragraph, every lawsuit. Exactly. Here's another one for a sentence. The amount claimed in good faith is the test of jurisdiction. So what, so repeat, here's that, another one. repeat that first because you okay. dropped out there at first. And I want to hear it contiguously. The amount claimed in good faith is the test of jurisdiction. The amount claimed in good faith, that's on looking for a remedy, obviously. Uh, if Gary's listening or anybody else is in this quandary, one of the nice things about the fourth edition, the green cover of blacks, is they did predominantly what Doug is, is illustrating for us here, is they would make a statement and then they would buttress it with a lot of excerpts dealing with that particular topic from, from court cases. Some of them are Supreme Court, some of them are appellate level, etc. But now, if you really want to hone in on a word, Doug, and you were, say, over there by the university, and you went over and sashayed into the law library, the place to really hone down on a word is a group of books in the law library called Words and Phrases. Have you ever been in that bunch of books? No. But I, but I have, from other writings, um, understand... Um, it's been used, but I didn't do that in the law library. Well, it's in a law library. It's where you generally find it. You can probably find it online these days. But if you put words and go in to words and phrases, and let's say you wanted to look at this word jurisdiction, I'm going to give you another example in a minute. But if you wanted to look at jurisdiction, you'd go to the J and open it up and find the word, and there'd be a whole slew of court cases, just like the fourth, that really pointed in with excerpts from that court case on the jurisdictional issue. Now, the reason I tell you this is because years ago, when I was in Cobb County up there in Marietta, I went down to their law library, and I went over to words and phrases because I was then, as I am now, particularly interested in a word called we, we use quite a bit called resident. And if you go into words and phrases in a law library, maybe online, and look under the word resident, one of the court excerpts they've got there, Doug, makes a real simple and concise statement. And it says, anytime this word is used in a legal context, its definition is always political. Always. There you go. So words yeah. and phrases, as you're getting into this or you're exploring something, is a real valuable tool. And I would never have known about that group of books if I didn't go through paralegal school, because that's where I learned about it. Would you uh, restate that again? We restate the, what was in the book? or yeah, about, what you just said about resident. There. If you go to words and phrases, a specific name of a group of books in a law library is where you're generally going to find it. And under the term resident, one of the excerpts from a court case that was listed under there, I do not remember which one, this was 25 or more years ago, it said whenever the term resident is used in a legal context, its definition is always political. 
There you go. And that's and and that's a tricky word there, like I was mentioning a couple of days ago about um, when uh, they wanted me to uh, be on the jury, and I said, well, just to clarify, my political status is a, a national, and I don't, um, I'm not a resident. I, I dwell here. Okay, and. So if I may, uh, there's just two more sentences yeah, here, yeah, and ahead, it's pretty though. much that's it for Black's Law. Uh, this is kind of important here. They have this in quotes, uh, three words, or three, four words. It says, jurisdiction of subject-matter. Yes. Means, means jurisdiction of class of cases to which particular case belongs. Okay. So you know, it's not like you go into... Okay. Go ahead. Let me say this. There's two types of jurisdiction. You know this, I think, probably. I know Chris does. There's personal jurisdiction and there's subject matter jurisdiction. And in either one of those... Supposedly, by the rules, if that jurisdiction is challenged at any point in the court case, the court case stops, that jurisdiction has, that jurisdictional challenge has to be met and satisfied before the proceedings pick up and go forward. That's the way it's supposed to work. I understand, yeah. But they, uh, my, my uh, personal case, uh, they ignored all that, although yep. I brought it. To, to them. Okay, here's and the Doug, last and one. Doug, now hold it. For the audience, let me make a point. Because you just made the point. I'm going to make a counterpoint. If you would have had that declaration uh, or affidavit filed with the Secretary of State, they couldn't overridden your, your jurisdictional challenge. They can if you don't. But if you've got it filed up there with the head knocker and you stand belligerently on your position, they cannot roll over you. Exactly. Uh, I understand that. And so we have uh, here closing this section on jurisdiction. Uh, the last one was just uh, jurisdiction of subject matter. And now, um, in agreement with what you just laid out there, here's the last one. Jurisdiction of the person, in quotes, is power to subject parties in a particular case to decisions and rulings made in such case. Bingo. Read it again. There you go. Read it again, please. Okay, in quotes, jurisdiction of the person, end of quote, is power to subject parties in a particular case to decisions and rulings made in such case. To subject parties. Now, is subject a verb or a noun there? Well, it doesn't say, but I would no, say... No, it, it doesn't. That's why, that, that's why I'm asking. The parties, yeah, the parties that are subject, subject to what? The jurisdiction thereof. 
Well, subject here is to the decisions and the rulings. Exactly. So well, that's the, that's the jurisdiction yeah. thereof because they're going to follow the subject rulings and outlines from above in that remedy, I promise you. Absolutely. Okay. And that's called in personam jurisdiction legally. But there you go. And that's, listen, the whole rubber meeting the whole road is on that concept right there. What gives that hook-nosed Edomite bastard up there in Congress the ability to write these laws, get them through the regulatory uh, sausage maker, and come apply them on me? Now, the key in what I just said was the regulatory agencies because that's the key to the administrative state. Well, and also, what, once the court started to um, apply precedents, then they didn't have to actually look at the facts. Hold it. Precedent, uh, they, but hold it, Doug. Precedence is a common law concept. Well, they use it out of common law. So they say, oh, this, this judge, this case, they already decided it this way, so it applies here. But when well, they don't want to do that, then they go, no, we got to judge this individually. Well, no, this, uh, this regulation has been written. It overrides that. That's the kind of crap they pull right there. In six months of paralegal school, and we had 10 different modules, real estate law, contract law, legal research, et cetera, et cetera, that we dealt with, okay? And in that entire six months, in all of those modules, the only time I saw the words common law were in the legal research section. And you know what it said, Doug? It had common law, and then it had precedent. <laughs> Okay, and that's because that's what the common law was based on was preceding cases. They've changed the formal law and taken it over down this commercial law, private law for public cases, and they can override those common law and those precedents at times with with different commercial law regulatory stuff. I mean, look, and I've been thinking about this a bit lately, all the stuff that they've pulled, like God out of the schools, how they get the Ten Commandments out of the school? Supreme Court case. How did they get us all shoved down into the secondary citizenship with Brown versus Board of Education? Supreme Court case. How did they get abortion legal? Supreme Court case. They're affecting their policy changes not only through the regulatory scheme, but they're using that Supreme Court like a hammer, and that's why they're freaking out about Trump. There's rumors out there that Ruth Bader Ginsburg's dead. I don't know if you've seen that. Okay, there was a while back, too, and it proved to be false at the first of the year. But there's some more rumors. They're absolutely terrified that that old hag is going to die and Trump's going to get to put a conservative on there. Yes, stack and pack the extreme Supreme Court. They're wanting to go back. They're wanting to go back and restack the court now. Have you seen them float that trial balloon? Yes, sir. Okay, Chris, you're back. Uh, did you have anything to add yeah. on our Doug and my pretty good discussion on jurisdiction and stuff here that I'm sure you heard? Well, jurisdiction, uh, the lawful right to of the words of law to act in a matter with authority to rule is everything. 
And when they don't have jurisdiction, because you can only serve one, the creator or evil, wicked, perverse man, Frederick Bastier's treatise, The Law, is the underwriting premise that everything else stems from. Yes, sir, sure is. Well, I'm going to clear our captain for landing here, but he doesn't have much runway. Go, buddy. Darryl. Hey, guys. Uh, the federal Supreme Court had no, absolutely no ability to address state citizens, large C, prior to the Civil War. Period. Had no jurisdiction to address state citizens. Let's explore that. Right. We're going to run out of time here, and I think what you brought is interesting, yeah. and I think it's a, 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 a good subject for discussion. And tomorrow we got Paul. So why don't we lay this till Thursday and open up the show with this on Thursday, because I've never heard that before, and I'd like to hear more, and I'm sure the audience would too. Okay. Here, here. Yeah. All right. Okay. I hear the whistler. Yeah, the whistler's tuning up. I got to go meet all these crazy expats and have lunch and go grocery shopping. And one of the dogs here got gored by a by a cow, evidently. He's got a big chunk out of his back leg. I got to get some silver lawn on him at some point today. So I got a pretty busy, and you got to catch him and hold him down to do it. So I got a pretty busy day going on. I'll be back tomorrow with Paul, and I hope you'll be with us. And I thank everybody for the discussion today. Uh, Daryl, we'll see you soon, too, and I want to hear about that. Okay, buddy? You guys have a great day. Ciao, ciao. Keep an eye on the markets. God bless America. Yes, sir. We'll